Welcome to today's news headlines from the Scottish Radio News team. I'm Alistair Connell. Happy New Year. The head of Scotland's largest public services union has urged the Scottish Government to be more transparent on potential public sector cuts. Lillian Maser from Unison Scotland accused ministers of threatening public sector job cuts without consultation. Deputy First Minister Shona Robison had previously warned the workforce would have to shrink amid budget pressures. The government said it would work with trade unions and commit to a policy of no compulsory redundancies. Ms Maser told BBC Scotland's The Sunday show that workers were worried as no details had been shared about the number of jobs that could be lost. Deputy First Minister and Finance Secretary Ms Robinson said more pressure had been put on her spending plans following Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement back in November. Her assessment was that the public sector would have to change in terms of its size and its shape, adding, I'm not going to arbitrarily announce a figure that will worry people. Defence Secretary Grant Shapps has said British forces are ready to act against Houthi rebels that target cargo ships in the Red Sea. In a newspaper article, he said the UK was willing to take direct action to protect a key shipping lane, highlighting how a British warship shot down a suspected attack drone in the Red Sea in December. Mr Shapps says we will not hesitate to take further action. The Houthis have targeted foreign ships since the Israel-Hamas war started. The Iran-backed rebel group has declared support for Hamas and said it targets ships travelling to Israel, launching more than 100 drone and missile attacks. Tens of thousands of partygoers watched fireworks explode over Edinburgh at the start of 2024. As celebrations in homes and on streets across Scotland took place, there was a particular focus on the country's capital. This year marked the 30th year of Edinburgh's Hugmany celebrations. Elsewhere, there was a mass Cayley staged in Inverness. After several days of weather warnings, it was a clear, cold night for most. Visitors from more than 80 countries gathered in Edinburgh, where 1990s band Pulp headlined a concert in Princess Street Gardens. Denmark's Queen Margrethe II has announced her surprise abdication in a New Year television address. She will formally step down on January the 14th, which will be 52 years to the day since she became Queen. It will leave the throne to... Sorry, she said, I will leave the throne to my son, the Crown Prince Frederick, she announced. The 83-year-old is the world's only reigning Queen and the longest-serving current monarch in Europe, taking the throne after the death of her father, King Fred. Frederick IX in 1972. She revealed the decision was made after a period of reflection following surgery on her back in early 2023. That's your call for now. More news in and out. Merns FM weather with Ace Competitions. And now the weather here on Merns FM for the Grampian area. New Year's Day will see a rather cloudy morning, but brightening up as the day progresses with increasing spells of sunshine and some light winds with a maximum temperature of 6 degrees Celsius. The outlook for Tuesday to Thursday will unsettled with showers that merge to longer periods of rain and hill snow at times, particularly during Tuesday and Wednesday. Winds occasionally strong across northern coasts. Merns FM weather with Ace Competitions. Head over to acecompetitions.co.uk or find us on Facebook and Instagram for more information. Download the free Merns FM radio app from your app store now and take us with you wherever you go. 
Matanva, Fiskama. Welcome to a special edition of the Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. We're in that zone between Christmas and the New Year when it's traditionally the time to look back on the year that's passing. There are many stories and events to look back on for 2023, but in Scotland there's really only one story this year, the one that nobody saw coming. If they said they did, they're being economical with the truth. Only the night before it happened, I was telling friends and colleagues over dinner at the European Parliament in Strasbourg it was not on the radar. The next morning, as I began travelling back to Scotland, the story broke. Nicola Sturgeon, Scotland's longest-serving First Minister, was resigning. In this special edition of The Week in Holyrood, we return to how it all unfolded and was reported ten months ago. And then I'll bring you bang up to date with an exclusive interview with the former First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. Let's head into the archive of The Week in Holyrood from February 2023. And so, this happens. Today I am announcing my intention to step down as First Minister and leader of my party. And suddenly, everything has changed. Scotland's longest-serving First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, stands down. In her head and her heart, she says the time is right to go. But who will steer the SNP on its next course towards independence? From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher, with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Holyrood. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now. That it is right for me for my party and for the country. Matanva Fiskema. Scotland's longest-serving First Minister has announced it's time for her to step down. After almost 20 years in the two most powerful jobs in the country, Nicola Sturgeon will return to the backbenches of the Scottish Parliament. She'll be there until at least the next Holyrood election. Beyond then, she cannot say. Nicola Sturgeon carried the nation through Covid, protected against the fallout of Brexit and throughout her leadership put Scotland first. In a special edition of The Week in Holyrood, I'll be looking back at the Sturgeon years and asking where we go from here. But first, this from my colleague Kieran Jenkins at Channel 4 News. Nicola Sturgeon is resigning as First Minister. But why? First of all, she's been First Minister for more than eight years. She's seen five UK Prime Ministers in that time and had extraordinary electoral success. Under her leadership, the SNP has been something of an election-winning machine. But in the past few months, things have been a bit more difficult. The UK government has blocked a second independence referendum. It's also blocked a law on gender recognition reform in Scotland. And Nicola Sturgeon has been right at the heart of a row over transgender prisoners here. She says it's nothing to do with all that. It's longer term. She wakes up in the morning and feels that she can't deliver on those issues that matter so much to her, not least independence. But where does it leave that moment that she's so central to? She says she's going to carry on until a new SNP leader and first minister is elected. It's not clear who that will be. But for Nicola Sturgeon right now, she's going to enjoy life a bit more. Spend some time with her friends and family. So where were you when you first heard the news? Where was I? I just stepped onto a train at Strasbourg, heading for Paris. 
I've been preparing a special edition of The Weekend Holiday at the European Parliament, but not this special edition. The TGV service just started pulling out of the station when I had the first private message telling me something was imminent back in Edinburgh. A moment later, another message prompting a call, and from that conversation, a seismic political story began to unfold. By the time my train was pulling into Paris, I was watching live coverage from Butte the First Minister's official residence in Edinburgh. As I stepped towards a concourse of Charles de Gaulle Airport, Nicola Sturgeon was on the staircase and stepping towards a podium to confirm what we by then knew. Being First Minister of Scotland is, in my admittedly biased opinion, the very best job in the world. It is a privilege beyond measure, one that has sustained and inspired me in good times and through the toughest hours of my toughest days. I am proud to stand here as the first female and longest serving incumbent of this office. And I'm very proud of what has been achieved in the years I've been in Butte House. However, since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. And when that time came, to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now, that it is right for me, for my party and for the country. And so today I am announcing my intention to step down as First Minister and leader of my party. I have asked the National Secretary of the SNP to begin the process of electing a new party leader and I will remain in office until my successor is elected. I know there will be some across the country who feel upset by this decision and by the fact I am taking it now. Of course, for balance, there will be others who will, uh, how should I put this, cope with the news just fine. Such is the beauty of democracy. But to those who do feel shocked, disappointed, perhaps even a bit angry with me, please know that while hard, and be in no doubt, this is really hard for me, my decision comes from a place of duty and of love. Tough love, perhaps, but love nevertheless for my party and above all for the country. Let me set out as best as I can my reasons. First, though I know it will be tempting to see it as such, this decision is not a reaction to short-term pressures. Of course, there are difficult issues confronting the government just now, but when is that ever not the case? I have spent almost three decades in frontline politics, a decade and a half on the top or second top rung of government. When it comes to navigating choppy waters, resolving seemingly intractable issues, or soldiering on when walking away would be the simpler option, I have plenty of experience to draw on. So if this was just a question of my ability or my resilience to get through the latest period of pressure, I wouldn't be standing here today, but it's not. This decision comes from a deeper and longer term assessment. I know it might seem sudden, but I have been wrestling with it 
albeit with oscillating levels of intensity for some weeks. Essentially, I've been trying to answer two questions. Is carrying on right for me? And more importantly, is me carrying on right for the country, for my party, and for the independence cause I have devoted my life to? I understand why some will automatically answer yes to that second question. But in truth, I have been having to work harder in recent times to convince myself that the answer to either of them, when examined deeply, is yes. And I've reached the difficult conclusion that it's not. The questions are inextricably linked, but let me try... I've been First Minister for over eight years, and I was Deputy First Minister for the best part of eight years before that. These jobs are a privilege, but they are also rightly hard. And especially in the case of First Minister, relentlessly so. Now, to be clear, I'm not expecting violins here, but I am a human being as well as a politician. When I entered government in 2007, my niece and youngest nephew were babies, just months old. As I stepped down, they are about to celebrate their 17th birthdays. Now that I think about it, that's exactly the age to be horrified at the thought of your auntie suddenly having more time for you. <laughs> My point is this, giving absolutely everything of yourself to this job is the only way to do it. The country deserves nothing less. But in truth, that can only be done by anyone for so long. For me, it is now in danger of becoming too long. A First Minister is never off duty, particularly in this day and age, there is virtually no privacy. Even ordinary stuff that most people take for granted, like going for a coffee with friends or for a walk on your own, becomes very difficult. And the nature and form of modern political discourse means that there is a much greater intensity, dare I say it, brutality, to life as a politician than in years gone by. All in all, and actually, for a long time, without it being apparent, it takes its toll on you and on those around you. And if that is true in the best of times, it has been more so in recent years. Leading this country through the COVID pandemic is by far the toughest thing I've done. It may well be the toughest thing I ever do. I certainly hope so. Now, by no stretch of the imagination was my job the hardest in the country during that time. But the weight of responsibility was immense. And it's only very recently, I think, that I started to comprehend, let alone process, the physical and mental impact of it on me. So what I'm really saying is this. If the only question was, can I battle on for another few months, then the answer is yes, of course I can. But if the question is, can I give this job everything it demands and deserves for another year, let alone for the remainder of this parliamentary term, give it every ounce of energy that it needs in the way that I have strived to do every day for the past eight years, the answer honestly is different. And as that is my conclusion, hard though it has been for me to reach it, then given the nature and scale of the challenges the country faces, I have a duty to say so now. I feel that duty first and foremost to our country to ensure that it has the energy of leadership that it needs, not just today, but through the years that remain of this parliamentary term. 
And right now, in a very particular sense, I feel that duty to my party too. We are at a critical moment. The blocking of our referendum as the accepted constitutional route to independence is a democratic outrage. But it puts the onus on us to decide how Scottish democracy will be protected and to ensure that the will of the Scottish people prevails. Nicola Sturgeon, the great communicator, had checked the time and hers was up. You can hear that resignation speech in full later in the programme. Nicola Sturgeon's announcement on Wednesday took everyone by surprise. Only those closest to her knew it was coming. When you read it was expected, it wasn't. It may have been wished for in some quarters, that's clear. Nicola Sturgeon dreams of independence, but she's achieved that for herself, not her country. From Glasgow's south side, Tom Parmenter of Sky News meets people in her parliamentary constituency. Nothing stays still. But the south side of Glasgow has become very used to Nicola Sturgeon, even if they don't all agree with her. She's done a great job um, taking on the Tories. Um, nobody else was as formidable as her. And she outshone all her opponents for the past eight years, outshone them all. What do you think her legacy will be? As I mean, she's the longest serving... A failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. NHS is a mess. Schools, education. I think she did all right through COVID. I think she did her best. Um, but it just feels like that was our peak. And it's all just kind of went a wee bit downhill from there. Nicola Sturgeon says she wants a more normal life, but will still represent Glasgow Southside and fight her political battles from here, including, of course, the SNP's push for independence. Hi guys, welcome to Future Opinion polls still have Scotland split down the middle. At Imran's restaurant, he sees the current First Minister as integral to independence. I feel as if with her departing like this, it's going to crumble. Why? I think purely because she was the backbone to this pro-referendum, pro-independence, you know, and... Um, now, with her departure, it's all going to come down crumbling. Evening drinks at the Bell Jar. Malcolm helps run the Yes campaign in this part of the city. What it does is uh, introduce a degree of uncertainty in how things will be in the short term. I mean, uh, I think Nicola's gone in her own terms um, and, uh, she, and she feels that she's a divisive figure for people who don't want independence and therefore uh, maybe it will open the door to more people coming over to independence. Uh, time will tell. In the city centre, those who said no to independence held a brief street party. A first minister has to somehow represent and serve everyone. After eight years on this ride, it's time for someone else. Tom Parmenter, Sky News, Glasgow. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher. Let's recap on the story that captured well beyond Scotland's shores this week. Nicola Sturgeon, Scotland's longest-serving First Minister, is stepping down. From ITN, Carl Dinan reports. Scotland's first female First Minister, one of its best political communicators, one of its most polarising politicians. Good morning, everyone. Today, Nicola Sturgeon said part of serving well is knowing when to go. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now. That it is right for me, for my party and for the country. 
And so today I am announcing my intention to step down as First Minister and leader of my party. The last few weeks have been bruising for Nicola Sturgeon. A row over gender self-declaration turned nasty when rapist Isla Bryson was temporarily sent to a women's prison. But... This decision is not a reaction to short-term pressures. Of course there are difficult issues confronting the government just now, but when is that ever not the case? She said the deeper issue was that she no longer had the energy, perhaps even the appetite, for the job. I'm not expecting violins here, but I am a human being as well as a politician. A First Minister is never off duty, particularly in this day and age there is virtually no privacy. Even ordinary stuff that most people take for granted, like going for a coffee with friends or for a walk on your own, becomes very difficult. In particular, her leadership through the pandemic had exacted a price. By no stretch of the imagination was my job the hardest in the country during that time. But the weight of responsibility was immense. And it's only very recently, I think, that I started to comprehend, let alone process, the physical and mental impact of it on me. But the political outlook is challenging. The SNP has a big decision to make about how to argue for another independence referendum and Sturgeon says she's not too divisive a figure to make that case. And my judgement now is that a new leader will be better able to do this. Someone about whom the mind of almost everyone in the country is not already made up for better or worse. Too often I see issues presented and as a result viewed not on their own merits but through the prism of what I think and what people think about me. Although her political opponents tried to sound magnanimous today, they didn't all manage it. Well, let me first start by paying tribute to Nicola Sturgeon for her long-standing public service. I wish her well in the future. But obviously, Nicola and I didn't agree on everything. Look, despite my many disagreements with Nicola Sturgeon, despite my many arguments, I think that record in that time of service is worthy of respect and worthy of thanks. On a, a personal level, we, we never really got on uh, particularly well, uh, and I'm not going to uh, ignore that at the time when I think there have been issues that she could have and should have focused on. She was worried that too much reflection might lead to tears today, but as ever, she kept it together. To all of the people of Scotland, whether you voted for me or not, please know that being your First Minister has been the privilege of my life. Nothing, absolutely nothing, I do in future will ever come anywhere close. On one level, eight years in office looks like political success. But as Nicola Sturgeon waved from the upstairs window of Butte House today, the dream of Scottish independence looked no closer than when she first arrived. And Carl's outside Holyrood now. Carl, Nicholas Sturgeon spoke, didn't she, about the brutality of politics, but she said recent events hadn't forced her resignation. So why do you think she chose now? Well, Mary, I don't think we can discount the cumulative effect of eight years in office, uh, giving 100%, as Nicola Sturgeon put it, leading a country uh, and, and facing uh, the sort of brutality and, and the polarised political atmosphere that she says uh, she has endured. 
However, I think we can't either completely discount the row over the Gender Recognition Act because although she termed it a short-term pressure, it has had effects which may be longer-lasting. It has damaged her popularity, the standing of her party, and it has even apparently damaged support for Scottish independence. Uh, and when you put all that together with the uh, conference that the SNP is coming up, where they have to decide their next steps. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon says she wants the next general election to be a de facto referendum on independence. Not everyone thinks that's the right way to move forward. When you put all those things together, uh, this was a moment where the SNP faced a, a fork in the road, if you like, and I think Nicola Sturgeon recognised that. Uh, I don't think, uh, however, that anybody was expecting today's announcement, and in those terms, at least Nicola Sturgeon uh, has decided to go on her own terms. Nicola Sturgeon is going at a time of her own choosing. Not many politicians at her level get to make that choice. A caring and honest politician, she laments the lack of privacy associated with the job. And of course, everyone always has an opinion about her. From the nation's mammy to the nippy sweetie, Nicola Sturgeon bears it all. And everyone who knows stuff knew she was about to quit last summer, and this summer before that too. So, possibly hoping to secure a scoop, I jumped on that bandwagon and I asked her directly in the Christmas edition of The Week in Holyrood in December 2021 if she was about to step down. Amid a bit of laughter, she said no. This year, apart from anything else, there's been a wee bit of mischief going on with some reports uh, stating, not even just suggesting, but stating that you're about to step down and go and join the United Nations or some other... I think it might, be news, it might be news to the United Nations uh, as well as news to me. <laughs> oh, that's the point. You, can, can we have the exclusive? Um, you're not about to do that. No, I, I'm not. Look, I, I'll, I'll explain how it came about in a minute. Uh, and it, it possibly is just an illustration of how everything I say and I accept it comes with the job is, is over-interpreted. Um, but I'm not intending to stand down. I mean, it's, it might seem a long, long time ago, but it is for only eight months uh, since I won an election, overwhelmingly won an election with a historically high share of the vote, having said to people, put your trust in me as First Minister to lead the country through and out of COVID. So, you know, the idea that I would suddenly turn my back on that um, is just for the birds. I, I take the responsibility of being First Minister really seriously. I've been elected to do a job and I intend to do that job. But the, why it came about is I was doing another interview um and I was asked the question, have you thought about what you might do when you leave politics? And I prefaced my answer by saying, well, of course, I'm not planning to leave politics soon. But then I gave some thoughts about what I might like to do when I leave politics. And that was just snapped up as well. That must mean she's planning to step down. And I've kind of thought a bit about that since. What, how could I have answered that question to avoid that sort of reaction? And the only thing I could have done was very robot-like, almost refused to countenance the fact that there would ever be a time when I wasn't in politics. Now, you know, I'm only 51. Uh, even if I stay for a fair bit longer, I'll still be relatively young when I... So I, it's a human thing to think, what might I do in the future? And I actually think it's it's not just a human thing. I think it's a, an important thing to, to answer questions like a human being and not like a robot. So that's how it all came about. But um, I'm not sure whether it will cheer up your listeners or depress them. Probably a bit of both. 
uh, to say that I'm not planning to go anywhere soon. You're listening to a special edition of The Week in Hollywood with Charles Fletcher. Still to come, the names in the frame to become our next First Minister and that resignation speech in full. Now, when Nicola Sturgeon took over from Alex Salmond, the first SNP First Minister eight years ago, she had big boots to fill. But she always wore higher heels. The SNP will run a leadership contest and the winner of that will be nominated to become First Minister. If MSPs agree, the King will invite that person to take on the role. Familiar names include the Deputy First Minister, John Swinney, Finance Secretary, Kate Forbes, and External Affairs Secretary, Angus Robertson. Professor John Curtis of Strathclyde University says nobody really saw this coming, and certainly not at this time. Well, I think there is no doubt that this does come with a very considerable surprise. There were... A little bit of speculation on the inside of the newspapers as to, well, how much longer would she really go on? Um, But the truth is, certainly all of her public pronouncements had been very firmly suggesting that she was going to carry through to 2026, which is when the next Scottish Parliament election is due to be held. That said, I think some of us, you know, just simply at a human level, have been asking ourselves whether somebody who had been front and centre of her country's uh, dealing with the COVID pandemic. She made all the main main public announcements. Uh, it was upon her shoulders, ultimately, that the very difficult decisions about what to do rested, decisions of life and death. We did all of us wonder whether that would, in the end, take its toll. Now, of course, the pandemic never came to a sudden full stop in which we could all declare it's over. It's gradually been uh, meandering into the sands, though probably still not entirely gone. But maybe now, a few months later, Nicola Sturgeon has finally realised the toll that's taken. That's certainly the part of the story that she's given us. And to that extent, at least, perhaps we should not be quite as surprised as perhaps most of us have been. Yeah, last month when uh, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern uh, said that uh, she's only human and she was resigning, uh, Nicola Sturgeon flatly denied that she was getting set to quit. Yeah, well, but of course, you know, um, no politician is going to say they're going to quit until they decided to quit. And if we take Nicola Sturgeon's account today, well, it had certainly crossed our mind and she was thinking about it, she's been thinking about it for a while. Um, she had not come to that conclusion. And I'm just frank, you know, frankly, we just have to accept that if you ask a party leader whether they're going to resign, the answer is going to be no until the answer is yes. And uh, there is no obvious successor. That is true. There isn't any uh, uh, obvious successor. And it's not entirely clear whether there is anybody with the rhetorical skills, the persuasive power, not only that Nicola Sturgeon has had, but also her predecessor as SNP leader and First Minister, Alex Salmond. I mean, there are some names in the frame. One obvious person who's certainly been suggested in the longer term might well be Nicola Sturgeon's successor is Kate Forbes. She is the um, current finance secretary um, and somebody who stepped up as finance secretary uh, within 24 hours when her predecessor was forced uh, to resign and gave a budget and mastered the budget within that time. And that was a demonstration of quite considerable skill. However, 
She has just had a baby. She is on maternity leave. Um, she has a constituency in the Highlands. These are not exactly easy personal circumstances from which to run a more than full-time job uh, based in Edinburgh. So that may mean she's ruled out. Beyond that, Angus Robertson is a former Westminster leader of the party who is now at Holyrood. Um, but he's not been that high profile since he's moved to Edinburgh. And, and then, there, then there are a variety of other names, but ver- none of them, none of them widely known amongst the public. And just very briefly, uh, John Curtis, you and I are old enough to remember when Scotland was a Labour stronghold. Is yeah. this good news for the Labour Party? Well, it might be. If it's a result of this, the SNP have a less effective leader, that the party's divisions over what should happen about its independent strategy and whether or not it should be fighting the next Westminster election as a referendum, whether they are exposed, the party remains divided, etc., etc., that might be good news for Labour. On the other hand, perhaps somebody will emerge out of the election who can unite the party does in fact prove that they can uh, communicate effectively with the parliament, in which case the whole game will start off again. Her predecessor, Alex Salmon, says Nicola Sturgeon led the cause of Scottish independence up a cul-de-sac. His former deputy, Jim Sillers, claims Nicola Sturgeon has damaged the independence movement and has been a tragic leader of the SNP. listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher. Just over 3,000 days ago, Nicola Sturgeon became Scotland's first female First Minister. She's now the longest to serve in that position and has signalled her decision to call time to step down as soon as her replacement is elected. Here is Nicola Sturgeon's resignation speech in full. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming along. I'm sorry to break into your half-term break. Being First Minister of Scotland is, in my admittedly biased opinion, the very best job in the world. It is a privilege beyond measure, one that has sustained and inspired me in good times and through the toughest hours of my toughest days. I am proud to stand here as the first female and longest serving incumbent of this office and I'm very proud of what has been achieved in the years I've been in Butte House. However, since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else and when that time came to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now, that it is right for me, for my party and for the country. And so today I am announcing my intention to step down as First Minister and leader of my party. I have asked the National Secretary of the SNP to begin the process of electing a new party leader and I will remain in office until my successor is elected. I know there will be some across the country who feel upset by this decision and by the fact I am taking it now. Of course, for balance, there will be others who will, uh, how should I put this, cope with the news just fine. 
such is the beauty of democracy. But to those who do feel shocked, disappointed, perhaps even a bit angry with me, please know that while hard, and being no doubt, this is really hard for me, my decision comes from a place of duty and of love. Tough love, perhaps, but love nevertheless for my party and above all for the country. Let me set out as best as I can my reasons. First, though I know it will be tempting to see it as such, this decision is not a reaction to short-term pressures. Of course, there are difficult issues confronting the government just now, but when is that ever not the case? I have spent almost three decades in frontline politics, a decade and a half on the top or second top rung of government. When it comes to navigating choppy waters, resolving seemingly intractable issues, or soldiering on when walking away would be the simpler option, I have plenty of experience to draw on. So if this was just a question of my ability or my resilience to get through the latest period of pressure, I wouldn't be standing here today, but it's not. This decision comes from a deeper and longer term assessment. I know it might seem sudden, but I have been wrestling with it, albeit with oscillating levels of intensity for some weeks. Essentially, I've been trying to answer two questions. Is carrying on right for me? And more importantly, is me carrying on right for the country, for my party and for the independence cause I have devoted my life to? I understand why some will automatically answer yes to that second question. But in truth, I have been having to work harder in recent times to convince myself that the answer to either of them, when examined deeply, is yes. And I've reached the difficult conclusion that it's not. The questions are inextricably linked, but let me try... I've been... First Minister for over eight years, and I was Deputy First Minister for, the, Minister for the best part of eight years before that. These jobs are a privilege, but they are also rightly hard, and especially in the case of First Minister, relentlessly so. Now, to be clear, I'm not expecting violins here, but I am a human being as well as a politician. When I entered government in 2007, my niece and youngest nephew were babies, just months old. As I stepped down, they are about to celebrate their 17th birthdays. Now that I think about it, that's exactly the age to be horrified at the thought of your auntie suddenly having more time for you. <laughs> My point is this, giving absolutely everything of yourself to this job is the only way to do it. The country deserves nothing less. But in truth, that can only be done by anyone for so long. For me, it is now in danger of becoming too long. A First Minister is never off duty, particularly in this day and age, there is virtually no privacy. Even ordinary stuff that most people take for granted, like going for a coffee with friends or for a walk on your own, becomes very difficult. And the nature and form of modern political discourse means that there is a much greater intensity dare I say it, brutality to life as a politician than in years gone by. All in all, and actually for a long time without it being apparent, it takes its toll 
on you and on those around you. And if that is true in the best of times, it has been more so in recent years. Leading this country through the COVID pandemic is by far the toughest thing I've done. It may well be the toughest thing I ever do. I certainly hope so. Now, by no stretch of the imagination was my job the hardest in the country during that time. But the weight of responsibility was immense. And it's only very recently, I think, that I started to comprehend, let alone process, the physical and mental impact of it on me. So what I'm really saying is this. If the only question was, can I battle on for another few months, then the answer is yes, of course I can. But if the question is, can I give this job everything it demands and deserves for another year, let alone for the remainder of this parliamentary term, give it every ounce of energy that it needs in the way that I have strived to do every day for the past eight years, the answer honestly is different. And as that is my conclusion, hard though it has been for me to reach it, then given the nature and scale of the challenges the country faces, I have a duty to say so now. I feel that duty first and foremost to our country to ensure that it has the energy of leadership that it needs, not just today, but through the years that remain of this parliamentary term. And right now, in a very particular sense, I feel that duty to my party too. We are at a critical moment. The blocking of a referendum as the accepted constitutional route to independence is a democratic outrage. But it puts the onus on us to decide how Scottish democracy will be protected and to ensure that the will of the Scottish people prevails. My preference of using the next Westminster election as a de facto referendum is well known. I've never pretended it is perfect. No second best option ever is, nor that there are no alternatives. That is why I've always been clear that the decision must be taken by the SNP collectively, not by me alone. But I know my party well enough to understand that my view as leader would carry enormous, probably decisive weight when our conference meets next month. And I cannot, in good conscience, ask the party to choose an option based on my judgment, whilst not being convinced that I would be there as a leader to see it through. By making my decision clear now, I free the SNP to choose the path it believes to be the right one, without worrying about the perceived implications for my leadership and in the knowledge that a new leader will steer us, I believe, successfully on that path. Now, there are two further reflections that have weighed in my decision. These, I suppose, are more about our political culture and the nature and impact of the dominance and longevity that come from success in politics. And the first I hope my party will take heart from. One of the difficulties in coming to terms with this decision is that I am confident that I can and would lead the SNP to further electoral success. We remain by far the most trusted party in Scotland. And while for every person in Scotland who loves me, there is another who, let's say, might not be quite so enthusiastic, uh, we are firmly on course to win the next election, while our opponents remain adrift. But the longer any leader is in office, the more opinions about them become fixed and very hard to change. And that matters. Individual polls come and go, 
But I am firmly of the view that there is now majority support for independence in Scotland. But that support needs to be solidified and it needs to grow further if our independent Scotland is to have the best possible foundation. To achieve that, we must reach across the divide in Scottish politics. And my judgment now is that a new leader will be better able to do this. Someone about whom the mind of almost everyone in the country is not already made up for better or worse. Someone who is not subject to quite the same polarised opinions, fair or unfair, as I now am. The good news, as the country will now get to see more clearly perhaps, is that the SNP is full of talented individuals more than up to that task. My second reflection is related. You know, I feel more and more each day now that the fixed opinions people increasingly have about me, as I say, some fear, others little more than caricature, are being used as barriers to reasoned debate in our country. Statements and decisions that should not be controversial at all quickly become so. Issues that are controversial end up almost irrationally so. Too often I see issues presented and as a result viewed not on their own merits but through the prism of what I think and what people think about me. I've always been of the belief that no one individual should be dominant in any system for too long. But while it's easy to hold that view in the abstract, it is much harder to live by it. With this decision, I am trying to do so. Indeed, if all parties were to take this opportunity to depolarise public debate just a bit, to focus more on issues than on personalities, and to reset the tone and the tenor of our discourse, then this decision, right for me and I believe for my party and the country, might also prove to be good for our politics. I certainly live in hope. Now, a couple of final points before I take a few questions. While I am stepping down from leadership, I am not leaving politics. There are many issues I care deeply about and hope to champion in future. One of these is the promise, the national mission so close to my heart to improve the life chances of care-experienced young people and ensure they grow up nurtured and loved. My commitment to these young people will be lifelong. And obviously, there is independence. Winning independence is the cause I have dedicated a lifetime to. It is a cause I believe in with every fibre of my being. And it is a cause I am convinced is being won. I intend to be there as it is won every step of the way. Yesterday morning, I attended the funeral of a very, very dear friend and long-standing independence activist, a wonderful man by the name of Alan Angus. It was actually during that funeral service that I went from being 99% certain about this decision to 100% certain, though I know Alan would not be at all happy to have played any part in my departure, so I'm sorry, Alan. But his funeral reminded me that the cause of independence is so much bigger than any one individual, that all of us who believe in it contribute in different ways at different stages of our lives. Since I was 16, I have contributed as an activist, a campaigner and a leader. 
And so now as we look to what I firmly believe is the final stage in Scotland's journey to independence, albeit a hard one, I hope to use all the experience and perspective I've gathered over these years to help get us there. Lastly, there will be time in the days to come for me and others to reflect on what has been achieved during my time as First Minister. I'm pretty certain there will be plenty of commentary on my mistakes as well. I will have more to say before I demit office, but allow me some brief reflections now. Scotland is a changed country since 2014, and in so, so many ways it is changed for the better. Young people from deprived backgrounds have never had a better chance of going to university than now. Our investment to double early learning and childcare is transforming opportunities for the youngest children. It's also enabling more women to return to work. The baby box is enshrining our aspiration that every child should have the best start in life. Scotland is fairer today than it was in 2014. We have a more progressive approach to taxation and a new social security system with the Scottish child payment at its heart. As the Institute for Fiscal Studies confirmed last week, the poorest families with children in Scotland are now £2,000 better off as a result of our policies. For many in this cost of living crisis, that will be the difference between food on the table and a warm home or not. There are stronger protections for victims of domestic abuse and Parliament will soon consider legislation to improve access to justice for victims of rape and sexual offences. I will be the strongest possible advocate for these reforms from the backbenches. We've also shown over these past few years what can be done with the full powers of a nation, creating institutions that are part of the transition to becoming independent. New tax and social security agencies a network of trade hubs across the world and a state-owned investment bank ready to help the country reap the industrial benefits of our vast renewable resources. There is so much that I am proud of, but there is always so much more to be done. I look forward to watching with pride as my successor picks up the baton. There will also be time in the days to come for me to say thank you to a very very long list of people without whom I would not have lasted a single day in this job, let alone eight years. I won't do so today. I might inadvertently forget someone or perhaps more likely start to cry. But there are a couple of exceptions. Firstly, my husband and family. Few people understand the price families of politicians pay for the jobs we choose to do. Mine have been my rock throughout and of course, the SNP. Since I was 16 years old, you have been my extended family. Thank you for the honour of being your leader. And it seems to me that eight emphatic election victories in eight years ain't a bad record together. Finally, and above all, the people of this beautiful, talented, diverse, at times disputatious, but always wonderful country. We faced the toughest of times together. I did everything I could to guide us through that time, often from my very familiar podium in St Andrew's House. And in return, I was sustained through that period by a wave of support from you that I will remember and value for the rest of my life. So to the people of Scotland, to all of the people of Scotland, whether you voted for me or not, please know that being your First Minister has been the privilege 
of my life. Nothing, absolutely nothing I do in future will ever come anywhere close. Thank you from the very bottom of my heart. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher. It's December 2023, some ten months after that sensational resignation by Nicola Sturgeon. She said at the time it was no overnight decision. She'd been thinking about it for a while. Then all the pieces fell into place and Nicola Sturgeon decided it was time to focus on being a member rather than a minister. I wonder now, does she miss the front bench and perhaps more importantly, would she ever consider a return? In this exclusive interview, Nicola Sturgeon smiled at that thought, paused, then said, never say never. Here's our conversation. I am Nicola Sturgeon, um, MSP for Glasgow Southside. And that's the first time you've said that to me because normally it's the First Minister of Scotland. You have been away from the front bench for many months now, since back in February. You've had time to reflect. How do you feel about being a member for Glasgow Southside? Well, being the member for Glasgow Southside has always been, you know, my priority because these are the people who elect me, send me to Holyrood. Without that, I would never have been a government minister, first minister. Um, so I'm certainly enjoying, you know, having the time and space to, you know, be in my constituency more, although I've always tried to be there and, and make sure I'm prioritising their needs and interests. More generally, you're moving from being first minister to not being First Minister, it's a big transition. Um, it involves not just you know giving up uh, responsibilities, but almost changing completely how you, you live your life. So I think I'm starting to settle into my, my new way of life, slightly slower pace of life, although I'm keeping myself busy with all sorts of things, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. A backbench MSP does have a lot of responsibility, both in constituency, but also speaking out nationally as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Being a constituency MSP is a, a job with many different aspects to it and, and many big responsibilities. And, you know, I've always taken that side of my work seriously and I, I will continue to do so. I'm, I'm biased, but I think I represent the best constituency in the country. So it's it's good to you know be able to, to spend uh, more time there uh, with the people who have done me the privilege of elected me to the Scottish Parliament. Um, I've also started writing a book about uh, my time, my life, but my time in, in government. So uh, that's taken me way back into, <laughs> into the past and, and that's proven interesting and challenging, um, but I'm enjoying doing that as well. And just generally having the opportunity to see friends and family that, to be blunt, I've neglected over the years when I was so busy being First Minister. So to get to catch up with people and just re-establish some of those relationships and connections has been something I've really enjoyed and valued doing over the last wee while. You've been in Parliament since it resumed in 1999. Are you going to continue? Will you stand at the next election? I haven't made that decision yet, and I'm, it's, it's a decision I'm not going to rush. Um, I'll probably make that decision sometime over the course of of next year. I've I've always been open that you know maybe this is the time for me to step down from Parliament and and just embrace the non political life uh, fully. But I take the responsibilities and the privilege of being in Parliament very, very seriously. So I'll, I'll take time to arrive at that decision and uh, arrive at a decision I feel is the right one for, for me, for the party that I 
you know I'm, I'm proud to to be a member of and for the people I represent when you've had some distance away from the front bench do you think there would be an inkling to wish to come back to it <laughs> oh how is David Cameron by the way um I don't think I will want to come back to frontline leadership politics and um, I've always been a bit of a sort of believer that you shouldn't try to go back in life we only get one life you should there's all sorts of things I don't regret a minute of my time in politics it's it's been an utter privilege hard work along the way so I don't regret any of that but when you're so focused on politics and, and government as I have been for a long time there's lots of other things you don't do there's things you sacrifice and neglect and just never get round to I've just learned to drive at 53 for example so there's lots of things that I want to do in the next phase of my life so I don't see uh, a comeback a la David Cameron or any other uh, politician who's done it um, but I also know that you never say never in this life you you know you you don't know what is around the corner but I've I've had a fantastic life in frontline politics and I think it's probably time to let the next generation uh, take over and that's the signal that you're also not going to make a running commentary every day or every time you bump into a journalist about how Hamza's doing uh, no I'm not I think Hamza's doing great uh, just to be clear about it um, I think he's uh, had many challenges over his time as first minister that's in the nature of the job but I think he's acquitted himself extremely well but I, I don't think it's fair to anybody in the role of in the office of first minister to have a predecessor constantly second guessing or providing a running commentary on their decisions so I, I'm, I'm trying very hard not to do that and plus I, I don't want to constantly be as I try to move into a different phase of life, I don't want to be doing that. That said, I'm somebody who's never going to not be interested in what's going on in the world, and I'm not taking a vow of silence, and I will. there will be things, there are things I feel passionately about that I will want to speak out on. Um, so getting that balance right might be tricky at times, and I might not always get it right, but you know, Hamza deserves, as I did when I took over, this time and the space to make his own mark and to to become the First Minister he wants to be, and I think he's doing well. But you have a wealth of experience that surely he could lift the phone and ask you for guidance, your thoughts? He can lift the phone anytime he wants and, and does. We speak um, you know, from time to time. I'm there, and I've always made it clear to him, I'm there as a source of advice anytime he wants it. And, and not just that, that any advice I give him, he's perfectly free to take it or, or leave it. You know, he's not duty-bound to follow my advice. Um, but he needs to find and is finding his own way of doing the job, just as I did when I became First Minister. Um, so, yeah, but if I can be of assistance to him, obviously I will want to do that. The fallout of Nicola Sturgeon's decision to stand down will have a huge impact on our political lifestyle. Her desired second referendum will not happen on her watch. Nicola Sturgeon will not lead Scotland into independence. She'll be criticised for the chaos of the gender recognition legislation, the state of Scotland's education, the continuing and deepening crisis in the country's NHS. Nicola Sturgeon gave Scotland confidence, not just among her supporters. She won all six elections she faced as leader. Her popularity consistently outstrips other party leaders across the UK. She is respected and admired around the world.
And for all the calamitous mistakes that were made, Nicola Sturgeon got Scotland through COVID. Legacies are rarely in the gift of those going, rather they are defined by those viewing. The philosopher Edmund Burke concludes, There is a boundary to passions when they act from feelings, but none when under the influence of imagination. Nicola Sturgeon imagines only good for Scotland. On FM, online and on your smartphone. This is Burns FM 